Welcome to the podcast of Midtown Church OKC, a church of the Nazarene. We are a spiritual community of hope and transformation that lives the way of Jesus. We want to develop real relationships and have real conversations, so we would love to hear from you. Find information about our worship services, email a pastor, follow our blog, sign up for our newsletter, and find out how to be a part of our community by visiting our website, midtownchurchokc.org. Before we started this church, one of the things that we said that we were going to care about was the youngest and most vulnerable in our community and those who worked with and cared for them. So we recognize that our congregation is a congregation full of teachers and administrators, people who work at school, people who are part of the education system in Oklahoma, and we also understand that this is a really dicey time for all of us in the state. So what, what I like to do is if you are a teacher or an administrator or uh, you work with the school in some way or you work with the state in some way, as it relates to education, I, I just love for you to hold your hand up, and I'm just going to invite others to see where you are. If you'd hold it up. So there are people who are sitting around you that are concerned about the state of education currently. And so uh, we would not be faithful as a church if we did not let this concern us as a community as well. So I invite you, if you're standing next to or sitting next to a teacher or somebody who works with kids or an administrator or somebody who works with the state, I'd invite you just to put your hand on their shoulder or sit next to them or whatever the case may be so that we might be able to pray together. Let us pray. Our greatest concern, Lord, is that those who are among us that are the most vulnerable, uh, that have the most need, that exhibit the kingdom of God, like our friend Cameron, would be hurt in this current climate we find ourselves in. We ask that you would bring your divine wisdom and your divine grace to us. We pray that you would start here among the people of our church, here among the people of City Presbyterian Church, here among the people of the churches who are in our vicinity and here among the churches that are in the state. We pray that you would minister to and go to and fill those who are in, again, power-making power and decision-making uh, positions and that you would bring your gentle peace and you would bring the ability uh, for reconciliation and wisdom and hope to all who were involved. And while we sit next to teachers, we recognize that as their stories are being told, we are connected to them. As we sit next to students, we realize that as their stories are being told, we are connected to them. Administrators and uh, government officials and leaders, as we sit next to them, we recognize that as their stories are being told, we are connected to them. If Ephesians chapter 2 is, as we've heard, the, uh, the good call that in Christ 
all barriers of hostility have been broken down and there is a new way to make peace. We ask that you would do that now in this this instance. Would you set captives free and would you release those who feel like they are in prison and would you uh, calm the raging sea and would you give us guidance to be your people in this place? This is what we hope for. As we prayed last week, when we thought about the dreamers in our midst, we remember again that you are not smaller than politics, that you are not smaller than government, that you are not smaller than education, that you are not smaller than our fears or our worries or our desires. You are not smaller than this bad economic situation we find ourselves in. You are not smaller than the two lines of the picket fence, the the opposing sides. You are the one who can and does bring great connection and create community among those who even have differences of opinion. You are the one who can provide. If we are not praying about these kinds of things, then uh, our prayers go wasted. These are important things, things that we as a community should be caring about. So help us to be faithful in that. And help us to name your faithfulness whenever we see it. Would you be with my friends who are teachers and administrators and who are part of uh, leadership even in this room? Would you be with my friends who are our brothers and sisters in Christ that are 0 to 12 years old currently and attend a public school setting? Would you do this great work of redemption? This is what we hope for. This is what we pray for. And you said that we could come and we could ask you for whatever we need. Your burden is easy. Your yoke is light. And many of us have been burdened. So we grant, we ask that you would grant us this favor, and we pray these things in the strong name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to invite you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, and I have some friends with Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, they would love to lend you one. If you do not have a Bible because you do not own one, they would love to give you one. And so I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 4. I will be reading out of the New Living Translation. Just hold up your hand if you need a Bible. That would be great. Thank you all. And I'd like to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word for us this evening. Hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians 4, starting with verse 4. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one and glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Can you hear that song? However, he has given each one of us a spiritual gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascends to the heights, he led a crowd of of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says, he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world, and the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. 
This will continue until we all come into such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about, about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when the people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is the word of God for the people of God, and let us say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. And forget, sometimes I think we can forget that there is a purpose in all of this. Sometimes I think that we can, um, we can forget that there is forward progress and movement and that once we accept this good news and we receive the invitation to the table and we sit down to the feast, we sometimes forget that that's not all there is. But clearly here, Paul is saying, there's more. We, like we heard from Pastor Chris and Estella last week, we are invited into the dance of a triune God. We are swept up into the movement of the spirit, which unifies. But that, that spirit is going places. We are destined, we are propelled for something. And what is that something, Paul says? Growing up. We are to grow into maturity. And maturity looks like the full stature of Jesus Christ himself. Our culture around us, and I don't want to just dog 21st century America, because I don't know that there are many cultures all across time and history Uh, that have provided a really good, solid atmosphere for maturity. But our culture cares a lot about getting more and doing more. But there's a difference between getting more and doing more and being and becoming more. And that's what we're after. We are called, called to grow up, to mature and to develop into the fullness of who Christ is. But I think we can all agree that we don't always see the grown-up church, right? (laughs) We are familiar with the church at various stages of development and sometimes um, infancy or adolescence or uh, the bratty child that will only ever want its own way. And I think Paul gives us the picture of growing into the head, which is, which is interesting um, phraseology, but I think if I understand the imagery correct, he's, he's likening it to really an infant, where the infant's head, if you've ever noticed, is like six times larger than it should be for, uh, for the proportionate body size. I mean, check out Caleb, when you get a chance. 
But it's really, really cute when you see an infant or a toddler who's all eyes looking up at you and their hands just barely reach over their heads. But it's not so cute when you see the church as an infantile, immature body. Paul gives us really clear imagery about what this looks like. He says these are people that are tossed around and confused by new teaching that ends up creating kind of a pseudo-Christianity that doesn't really have solid roots. Or we become uh, easily influenced by tricksters who lead us away from fully trusting Jesus and tempt us into finding shortcuts to get what we want. An immature, not grown-up church is the one that kicks against unity instead of dances into it. It's people who are not making every effort to maintain peace and who are not speaking the truth in love. And when it gets really bad, we find people in a church, we find the church itself at times has just lost the plot of this huge, overarching, redemptive story that they're a part of and wind up creating their own drama to move their own story forward. And when we exhibit, or when we have experienced, when we have been exposed to these pictures of not maturity, when we have seen the church at less than her best, it leaves profound impacts on us. Many of us have felt those pains And you and I both know many people who have walked away forever, or at least by the grace of God for the time being. The church not at its best is not a pretty sight. But then there are times when we see glimpses of the full-grown church. All grown up and beautiful as a bride and she is breathtaking and this is a church that is a called out different group of people that is going somewhere moving in the direction of the God who calls them moving to the rhythm of the Trinity's song And they are unified and they are also unifying. They bring people with them along into unity. This is a a church that is humble and gentle and where people are patient with one another, even making room for one another's faults. These are people who are no longer immature or easily fooled. These These are people who are wise and careful and as a group, they are discerning. These are people who speak the truth in love. These are people who somehow together fit perfectly and each person has a part to play and does something to contribute to the whole. These are people who together measure up to the full stature of Christ himself so that when people see this grown-up church, they say, "Ah, that looks like Jesus to me. I see Jesus in those ones. I've witnessed the church at her best. 
I've witnessed the church at our best at a, in a church called New Hope Community Church that my dad founded and pastored while I was in middle school and high school in Northeast Ohio, a suburb called Boardman. And there are many, many stories I could tell you, but one kind of exemplifies many of them. It's about a man named Scott. He was middle-aged and heavy-set, blue-collar dad, kind of regular, boring life. But what he did for fun was played guitar, really good guitar. And the only place that he really belonged and the only place where he could play on a regular basis was the bars. So he had regular gigs most of the week playing electric guitar in bars. And at the time um, that we started this church, uh, we needed a guitar player really bad. And so Scott received an invitation. (laughs) I still don't know exactly who met him or where or how, but somehow they connected the dots between this electric guitar player in a bar and this church that needed a guitar player. And you know what? He showed up. He loved guitar that much that he showed up on Sunday mornings and started playing guitar. But over time, the worship band members became his dear friends. And soon his wife and his three kids started coming with them. And before long, I watched Scott get baptized. And I watched him grow in love toward other people and toward his family. And I watched him, even as an adolescent, I watched this grown man grow in confidence. I watched him become a leader in our church over the course of a few years. I saw a glimmer of the church at her best at another church, a small congregation in Frankfurt, Germany, where I visited several summers and interned uh, for one summer. And in this congregation, their welcome and hospitality to me, their fervent prayer for their neighbors, and their joy when we ate together. I had never, I mean, I had been to a lot of Nazarene potlucks, but none like that. And I saw Jesus in them. I've also seen the church at her best in southern Africa in in a country named Swaziland, where two women, a retired nurse and a pastor's wife, began a ministry for people with HIV and AIDS at the height of the pandemic in their little country. And their tenacious, compassionate, faithful obedience has restored dignity and given hope and extended the lives of thousands of people in their country. And now the stories of their actions have spurred thousands of Nazarenes and other Christians throughout the world into compassionate action themselves. And earlier this week, on Monday and Tuesday, I was a part of a conference for a young clergy in the Church of the Nazarene, and I saw some of the church at her best there as people grappled with serious questions about what does it mean to be hospitable to those who are not like us, to those who are on the fringes and are marginalized, people we don't understand, in dialogue and in prayer And in repentance, I saw glimmers of the church at her best, the grown-up bride of Jesus Christ. I'm sure 
I hope, I pray, that each of us has stories of the church at her best. And really, it's important to me that these stories are shared because that is where we find hope and vision and excitement. So I know we've already talked to one of the three minutes, but we're going to do it again. And I invite you just to answer one question that will be on the screen. When have you seen the church at her best? I invite you to get with maybe two other people. You'll have a total of three minutes. And that gives, if you have three people, that gives each, minute, each person one minute to share the story of when they have seen the church at her best. So think for a second. Got it? Okay. The question and the timer should come on. There you go. You have three minutes. When have you seen the church at her best? All right, your three minutes is done. Hopefully everyone had a chance to share. And if you didn't, catch each other after service and finish the stories that you didn't get a chance to finish, okay? Uh, One of my favorite authors is a man named Eugene Peterson. Between Chris and myself, you hear that name probably a lot. But uh, he has written a book on Ephesians called Practice Resurrection. And in that, he gives a really awesome insight that most of us who aren't steeped in biblical languages would never catch. And uh, he says that at the beginning of chapter four, Paul turns a corner that we can't really notice in the English language. But he starts off in Ephesians chapter four, verse one, by saying, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. And what we don't catch in English is that each of those three words, beg, called, and calling, are a similar root, and that they are connected to uh, this larger sense of parakaleo, which is to call out, to call forward, to implore, to encourage, to instruct, to give guidance, to comfort. It's a large range of meaning. But Paul uses this root word when he says, I beg you, and he uses it several times from now to the end of the book. And so what Peterson says is that Paul, in the first three chapters, is using preachy, teachy language. There's a lot of beautiful truth that he wants to unpack with uh, with a lot of exuberance, and then he explains things in tremendous detail that gets us a little bit dizzy and overwhelmed. And now we come to a very different kind of language. It's not preaching language anymore. It's not teaching language anymore, although those two things have extreme importance in the church. We find a new language now, and that is the language of, in the Greek, Periclesis. In English, we might call it the language of encouragement or the language of discernment. He says, Periclesis is language used with men and women who have already received the word of preached salvation and have been instructed on teaching the law, but who are in need of comfort or encouragement or discernment in the muddled details of dailiness. I don't know about you, but I could use some of that. How many of your stories of the church at her best 
involved a really great sermon. Just as I thought. Thanks. Uh, How many of your stories of church at her best involved a fantastic teaching from a theologian or a book that you read or some kind of study that you participated in? Okay, two, I think. Uh, Did I see two? Are there any other hands? Uh, Okay, now, how many of your church at her best stories were either A, about believers working to encourage or comfort one another, or believers faced with a difficult situation and having to pull together out of their collective resources to make it happen, or involved believers in prayer and conversation discerning what God has called them to do and how to respond to a given situation. How many of your church at your best stories included one of those three elements? Pretty much everyone else. The language of paraclesis isn't usually what we hear in this space. It's not the upfront. It doesn't get a lot of books published or podcasts made. It's not that visible. But the results of this language being spoken well are very visible. It was paraclesis, the language of encouragement that brought my friend Scott into relationship with Jesus Christ instead of just playing in a band. It was paraclesis, the language of, that was spoken in smiles and gracious welcome that made me feel at home at Hudelstraße Church of the Nazarene in Frankfurt. And my friends Evelyn and Mary spoke the language of paraclesis to one another every time they encountered heartache in the homes of their AIDS patients. And they literally would have to come back to their car after each visit and weep and cry and pray together and encourage one another before they could go out and visit another home. And it was the language of asking questions and listening to stories and discerning God's direction, the language of paraclesis at the conference I witnessed this week. As we grow into Christ, fluency in this language is pretty important. You probably know, most of you, that I have a one and a half year old and a four year old, and one of my favorite things is to witness their language acquisition. <laughs> and they learn things all the time. They absorb and they, they try to figure out how to use idioms the right way and um, what to call things. Sometimes they make up things. But Austin now, he's almost four, a week from today he will be four. And not only is he learning how to use words and phrases and diction, but he is learning tone and nuance and persuasion. And as we grow, church, we also grow into the language of our mother tongue. It is the language of the Spirit herself the one Jesus called the paraclete who will come, who will not leave us orphaned, who will be our guide and our comfort, our encourager, the one who will remind us of all that Jesus has said. And as we grow up into Christ, it is that language that we learn to speak. And I have watched you grow. 
The last time I preached from this text was October 25th, 2015. And some of you were there that night. It was this very room. It was a month before we launched our church. We were having six weeks of practice services before we launched, and we walked through the book of Ephesians then together. We um, had six parish groups, and they had barely been meeting one month. And I remember very clearly that night, uh, I had a friend come to visit, and she had stopped going to church as a young teenager And when I had met her in late 2014, she had only recently started to believe again that there might actually be a God. And when she was here that night and we engaged in the same conversation of when have you seen the church at her best, I will never forget the conversation that we had on the stairs going outside. She said, Mikhail, when have I seen the church at her best? This is it. Right now, here, you, you people This is the church at her best to me. And to my friend who has now moved to a different city, I want to say, oh, Kathleen, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because if you thought that was the church at her best, let me tell you what's been going on for the last two and a half years. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that we were not the church at her best then. I think that we wanted to grow up. I think that we hoped and prayed and longed that we could become the church at her best. I think we had all of the resources it took, but we needed opportunity to grow up. And oh my, have we had opportunities. I have watched you I have watched you grow up when our friend Lisa was in a near-fatal car accident. And you went to the hospital, and you rallied around her and Tanner, and you brought meals for months, and you cleaned her house, and you showed up to sit with her when she was in that awful halo, and you cared for her kids. And when she returned and sang a beautiful song, we celebrated like crazy. I watched you grow up as you rallied around Jason and Linda and the story that he told so beautifully a couple of weeks ago. And as you carried he and his mom into a new era, as he calls it, by cleaning out their house and remodeling their home so that they would no longer need to live as outsiders, as Jason said. I watched you grow up as you prayed for and sent our friend Julie to rehab Almost a year ago, you brought meals to Anthony and Leon while she was gone. You wrote her letters. You visited her. And since she has returned, you have continued your prayers and your support and your encouragement and your cheer for her and her hard work of recovery. I have watched you grow up within parish groups as you wrestle with questions and as you pray for each other's needs and as you speak the truth in love to one another. When I receive calls and emails and text messages that say, please pray for me, I think God may be asking me to tell my story or lead a group or start a new ministry or serve on a team, which, by the way, is the best part of my job. I watch you grow up. 
And this whole time, spanning the last two and a half years, and even before then, we have been hoping and praying and waiting for our home on 8th Street. But it's been in the last eight months of this journey where the rubber has really met the road. And many of you have made financial commitments and given sacrificially, like Cameron, to get us there. And some of you have called in favors, people that have said, I think I know a guy. Some of you have uh, called up family members and friends and asked them to give resources or money to this project. A few of you have served incredibly long, many hours in conversations and looking at plans and talking with contractors and making almost daily visits to the 8th Street Church to check on its progress. Some of us cleaned yesterday, and others of us will help move in stuff this coming week and in the weeks to come. And as we do all of this, I am watching you, I'm watching us, we are watching ourselves grow as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You, my friends, are becoming the church at her best. You are learning the language of the Spirit herself as we talk to one another, as we pray together, as we discern and encourage and explore. And are we fully grown? No. (laughs) I don't think that we can ever stop growing. I mean, have you checked out how big Christ is? we got a long way to go, and it's going to take a long time to measure the full stature of Jesus Christ. But just as in the last two and a half years we have not known the opportunities that would allow us to grow, we can't know what lies ahead of us, but we do know there will be opportunity. We have new neighbors waiting for us. We have new realities that we will face. We have new questions that we haven't even asked or that have been asked of us. We have literally a new and permanent place in our city. We have new responsibilities. And honestly, it feels a little bit like a brand new beginning. And I have to confess to you that at times I get overwhelmed by the amount of unknowns and the largeness of this task. But... We do not have to be scared. We don't have to be fearful of being immature children or people tossed around on the sea or naive to tricksters who sell shortcuts and peddle division. We don't have to worry about those things. We can be steady. We can be sure-footed. We can be clear-minded as we remind one another of the truth. We gather here to tell the truth, right? And the truth is, we need God. And we need one another, and that will never change. The truth is that we will continue having real conversations and developing real relationships, and we will continue growing into the language of paraclesis, of encouraging one another and discerning together. 
And the truth is, if we continue like this, we will continue to grow up. We will continue to mature. And by God's grace, as people look at us, they will see Jesus. Every week we gather, not just to sing and hear words, but to take into our very bodies the blood and body of Jesus Christ. And we do this not just because we want to remember, although that's a significant reason. We remember our need, and we remember his gift. But we also come with hands held out, ready to receive that which we cannot supply for ourselves. And by the fact that we are given a very physical gift into our very physical bodies, we receive physical strength. The blood and the juice metabolize in us, and somehow Christ himself builds residence within us. And it is his force in us that grows us into maturity. This is not something that we have to grit our teeth and pull ourselves up from the bootstraps. This is something that if we allow him to lead us, he leads us into. In just a moment, our servers are preparing now and you will be invited to come forward and receive the bread and the juice And as you do, I would encourage you to walk down, as I said, with your hands cupped, ready to receive. Take the the bread and dip it into the cup. And if for any reason you can't come down these aisles, just wave at Justin and he will come and serve you. We do not want any barriers here. This is Jesus' table. It's not a table that we have created or set It's one that Jesus has laid out in front of us. And so any who are ready to receive that which Jesus freely offers, you are invited to come. Our bread is gluten-free and the cup is non-alcoholic because we want all who are ready to participate in this meal together.